From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, happy Friday, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. Well, coming up, as promised, the over 35,000 petitions in support of Officer Jacob Kersey were delivered today. We'd like to present these nearly 35,000 petitions and just urge the city to change its ways as an environment of hostility to people of faith in the public square. And uh, we're standing with Jacob. That was uh, former Congressman Jody Heiss delivering the petitions to City Manager Steve Davis there in Port Wentworth, Georgia. Jacob was forced to resign from the Port Wentworth, Georgia Police Department in January after posting a biblical reference to marriage on his personal Facebook page. Jody Heiss joins us later to give us the details of today's delivery and the prayer gathering that took place there at City Hall. The House voted unanimously earlier today to send a bill to President Biden's desk that will declassify intelligence on the origins of COVID-19. This bill we are voting on today to declassify information on the origins of COVID-19 virus will provide much-needed transparency for Americans who have lost so much in this tragedy. But it's only a start. That was Ohio Congressman Brad Winstrip, chairman of the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus. Montana Congressman Matt Rosendale will join us in just a moment. And much attention on President Biden's budget proposal and how the national debt will mushroom to over $82 trillion in the next 10 years. Yesterday, we were given the president's budget, which outlines the president's so-called priorities. Well, his priorities were pretty clear. Continue to expand government at the expense of the American people. That was Texas Congressman Chip Roy on the House floor earlier today. We'll talk with former Virginia Congressman, now Dean of Liberty University School of Business, Dr. Dave Bratt. Senate Democrat leader Chuck Schumer continues to taunt Republicans asking for a budget proposal of their own. There is still one big question all of us are asking. Speaker McCarthy, where is your plan? Where is your plan on deficit reduction, which we have talked about here? Where is your plan? Well, the House Freedom Caucus has responded now that the president has finally released his budget proposal. We can solve our debt crisis responsibly if we shrink Washington and grow America. Members of the House Freedom Caucus are ready to roll up our sleeves and get to work voting now on these proposals, and we're willing to do it today. That was House Freedom Caucus Chairman Scott Perry and members of the House Freedom Caucus earlier today. We'll talk with Virginia Congressman Bob Good, a member of the House Freedom Caucus, a little bit later on this edition of Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Resources are available for you there. If you happen to miss any of the program, it's all archived. So are previous editions. You can find it at TonyPerkins.com. Our word for today comes from Jeremiah 39, verses 11 and 12. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave command concerning Jeremiah. Take him, look after him well, and do him no harm, but deal with him as he tells you. Now here's the fierce heathen Babylonian conqueror of Jerusalem telling his warriors to watch out for and care for the prophet of God. Now this is actually what God promised Jeremiah when he called him to be a prophet. Remember, he said, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Now that did not mean Jeremiah would not face difficulties. He did. He encountered significant hardships. But God delivered him from all of them. 
We have no reason to fear what might lie ahead. If God's purposes are our purposes, he will accomplish his purpose in us, and nothing will stop it until it's accomplished. To join us in our journey through the Bible, go to TonyBerkins.com. As I mentioned earlier today, the House unanimously passed a bill that requires the director of the National Intelligence Agency to declassify any information regarding the origins of the COVID pandemic. The Senate version of the measure passed earlier this month, also by unanimous consent. Now, the unanimous votes, exceedingly rare, send a strong message that it's time for the Biden administration to let the American people know what's going on. The question is... Will the president listen? And just what could the declassified information reveal? Well, here with me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Matt Rosendale. He is a member of the House Freedom Caucus, the Veterans Affairs Committee, and the Committee on Natural Resources. He represents the 2nd Congressional District of Montana. Congressman Rosendale, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me on, Tony. It's always good to be with you. Well, it's good to see you. Um, The measure passed unanimously in both houses of Congress. That's quite significant. What is the message that this sends to the president? I think it makes it very clear that the American people want to see the origins and the background of this uh, COVID-19 virus. They uh, suffered with it. We had closures. We had school closures. We had business shutdowns. And they want to find out what the origins were. Um, I think everybody has pretty well come to the conclusion, Tony, that it did originate in this Wuhan uh, lab in China. And now what we're trying to determine is what kind of participation did the United States have in that lab, in the scientists, in any of that work whatsoever, so that we can make sure that this never does happen again. I don't think that we will ever get the true story of whether this was released on the general population accidentally or whether it was an intentional act by the Chinese Communist Party. I don't know that we'll ever determine that, but we we at least need to know what role the United States played in, in funding and helping to develop this terrible, terrible virus. Do you think we'll also find out information that has been discussed in other committees about how the government used social media to tamp down, silence those who were raising questions about the origins of this virus and how it was to be uh, confronted? I believe that that will probably take place in some of the uh, select committee work that we're seeing on the weaponization of the uh, agencies, the weaponization of the government against citizens. I think that those are the committees that are going to bring that uh, information out so that we can see exactly uh, how the these large platforms utilize their enormous reach to uh, censor uh, the ability for the American people to voice their their opinions and to share information that would have been beneficial and and probably would have saved uh, thousands of lives had uh, they been able to share it freely and, and allow people to utilize the the extra information that they had. Right. So it's not just about looking back for wanting to find out who held what inform withheld what information, but it's also about preparing for the future. What type of information do you think will be made available when this is declassified? 
Well, uh, the, the most important information to me is to see what kind of participation the United States had. And then uh, it's going to put us in a position to start going into um, these same areas to find out if they are still funding similar type activities in other so places around the world. You're, you're talking about the gain of function uh, that basically created this virus. That's exactly right. The gain of function experiments that were taking place to try and increase the the uh, uh, capacity or the strength, if you will, of any of these viruses. And then once we def- uh, can identify what role the United States had and, and what doctors uh, were, were working on this, then we can use that information to make sure that we look in other areas of the budget and of these agencies to make sure that this work is not being continued. That would also point to if this information comes out, this could point to some culpability from uh, some in the government for participating in this and then trying to cover it up. Absolutely. We have heard time and time again that it's typically not the act that gets folks into into, uh, trouble. It is the cover up that they try thereafter. And let's just say this had escaped accidentally from the Wuhan lab, the virus had escaped, then possibly there was um, the ability for people to to declare that they were just trying to do some type of research. Now, while it wasn't uh, authorized in, in this country, certainly, and we're still going to have to look at that and see what what funds were being used by who, who was u- who was using this. But but typically it is the cover up thereafter that causes most of the problems, Tony. Yeah. Do you, do you can you foresee the president under any circumstance vetoing this, given that it passed unanimously both the House and Senate? I wouldn't think so. We just saw the other resolution to uh, rein in the out of control uh, D.C. government that was able to get passed. And uh, the the president initially said that he was going to veto that. And then he saw the overwhelming support that came through uh, to make sure um, that that we could rein in D.C. from from taking these acts and, and allowing criminals to run free, that there was so much support for within Congress and the Senate that, that he ended up signing that into law. So I would think that he would certainly do uh, sign this into law as well. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit later about the House Freedom Caucus and their proposal uh, to the president in terms of what it's going to take to get their support uh, moving forward, whether it be the debt ceiling or appropriations bills. Do you see, given what you just talked about, the president, you know, recognizing the crime problem we have in D.C., uh, now recognizing hopefully that the American people have a right and a want, a desire to know about what was behind COVID, do you think he might moderate a little bit and, and, and actually meet Republicans halfway? On the uh, budget uh, discussions that we're yeah, going to be on the budget. Right. I, unfortunately, I, I'm not really optimistic about that. But what I will tell you is uh, no different than the rules um, debate that we had at the very beginning of the 118th Congress, where we wanted to, we being the, the uh, many of the members of the Freedom Caucus, that we passed the reforms. We recommended the reforms to uh, restore regular order to Congress, and, and we're able to get that rules package put forward and passed. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of momentum uh, over the next couple of weeks as we uh, uh, go through and describe and identify the areas where we can show savings 
once that is done and, and those areas are made very public, which we are going to do, uh, he's going to have a difficult time, he being the president, to completely ignore uh, those reductions. When, when we see that there's this excess COVID money that hasn't been spent, uh, certainly we should be able to claw that back. When we see that there's uh, duplicative programs, two, three, four, ten programs that are trying to accomplish the same thing, we should be able to uh, remove that money from the budget and, and add that back into the Treasury so that we don't bump up against this debt ceiling. When we see the 87,000 IRS agents that uh, I certainly don't, and I know the people of Montana don't want um, uh, searching around the country, trying to justify their jobs by assessing fines and penalties to people that own their own businesses, whether that's a farm or a ranch or the ice cream store on the corner. Um, I, I think that he's going to have a hard time keeping those funds in place. So we're going to deliver on this uh, reduction, the reductions to, to bring this into line. We cannot look, we cannot uh, pass a budget that is calling for $6.8 trillion right. in spending, $5 trillion in new taxes, Tony, a continued amount up and an additional $1.3 trillion in, in debt annually to add to the $31.5 trillion that we already have. That is not good for the economy. It is not good for our national security. And it certainly isn't good for the people in Montana. No. Well, it's not good for the people anywhere in this country. Congressman Matt Rosendale, great to see you. Have a great weekend, uh, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. All right, Congressman Matt Rosendale of Montana. All right, uh, when we come back, we're going to dissect the president's budget. We're going to talk to uh, former Congressman Dave Bratt. going to be with us next. Don't go away. Today, moral relativism and political correctness are assaulting truth. How can the world have hope when believers themselves aren't clear on the authority of the Bible? The Church of Jesus Christ always faces a tremendous temptation to deviate from the Word of God. The God who speaks clearly expresses God's intent in giving us His Word and the response that is demanded of those who hear. Nobody ever encounters God and says, that was boring and irrelevant. When people say that about the Bible, it just says to me they've not encountered the God of the Bible. Our faith is rooted in history, and, and consequently we need to use the evidence and never be afraid of it. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association which could bolster your confidence in the Word of God. Churches really need to see this, really need to understand what the Bible actually is. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Here's a moment of hope for your home. We need to get you some new shoes. Those have holes in them and they're falling apart. You've outgrown them. How important are good shoes to a soldier? Well, listen to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace... A soldier depends on sturdy shoes, the ones fit for battle. I can tell you, hurting feet are a distraction. Being prepared with the gospel of peace is a protective covering for the whole body. 
Knowing the peace of God through Jesus Christ is the protection against any of life's difficulties. No matter what, a person who has a firm foundation planted in the peace of God will be able to walk through any dangerous or scary place all during their life. The earlier your child learns to live in the peace of God, the more prepared they will be for each new phase of growing up. Get those shoes ready, polish them with God's peace, and they will never wear out. Learn more at hopeforthehome.org. Persecuted believers in Asia, they love their enemies and they count it all joy to suffer for the Lord. This is Bible League International. Abir is a former Islamic leader in Bangladesh. When he became a believer, he was beaten, verbally abused, his home was vandalized, he was forced to move to another city, and he was labeled a traitor. But he holds to the precious promises of God he reads every day in his Bible. I asked Abir, you were beaten, you were cast out. It's so easy to hate people that do this to you. He said, no, I love them. Most of us here in America cannot relate to the level of persecution that Christians like Abir in Bangladesh and others throughout Asia are facing on a daily basis. Let's send them the word of God they need and crave to be able to endure and persevere. And that's why we're holding this campaign, Fan the Flame. $5 sends a Bible, $100 sends 20 every gift matched. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or give it sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. And God bless you for caring. Welcome back to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. All right, President Biden released his proposed 2024 budget yesterday. Now, these proposed budgets are messaging tools more than anything else. And the message the president sent made uh, the priorities of his party transparent. Uh, Does that include anything important to working families, inflation, crime, border security? Well, I know that's a rhetorical question. We all know the answer. Well, how should Republicans react to the president's big government priorities? Well, join me now to discuss this and more is Dr. Dave Bratt. He is a former member of Congress who now serves as the dean of Liberty Liberty University School of Business. Dr. Bratt, welcome back to the program. Hey, great to be on. Thanks, Tony. Now, I, I want to play a clip of the president yesterday because I think it's very telling. Um, and I'm going to get you to respond to this because I, uh, I think you had time to digest the president's budget. And I think it tells a lot about yep. his priorities. So uh, play clip number seven. My dad had an expression. So he, someone would come up to my dad and say, let me tell you what I value, Joe. And they say, my dad would say, no, no, show me your budget. I'll tell you what you value. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that's true, but. looking at this president's budget, what does he value? Yeah, well, he, uh, I I looked at the overview. It's pretty interesting. You got 10 or 20 uh, new spending items that uh, don't show up uh, much. And at the very end, he's got 3 trillion in uh, tax increases. And he says that reduces the deficit. Uh, But what he doesn't say is that for the next 10 years, we have $2 trillion deficits every year as far as the eye can see. And so for the young people out there, just so you know, and this is this is the source of uh, today, you got breaking news with a major, the second largest bank out Silicon Valley uh, going under. And uh, we got some uh, major trembling going on uh, right now in the economy uh, because of this. And the, we got 32 trillion in debt right now, another 20 trillion in debt. So that's 52 trillion in debt in 10 years. And he shaves off three. 
Well, so just do the rough math. You got 50 trillion in debt at 5% interest rates minimum, right? They'll probably be higher than that, but right now they're at five. <clears throat> That's two, 200. It just do 10% of uh, 50 trillion is 5 trillion and take half of that. So two and a half trillion dollars in interest payments uh, in the budget per year. And so what it tells me is uh, his, his rhetoric does not line up with the numbers, right? And we're, we're going to be bankrupt. We're already bankrupt. Uh, and that's without uh, talking about the entitlements. And the Republicans aren't going to do that. They're, they're being smart there. Uh, but the Medicare and Medicaid are about a trillion each. That's two trillion. Uh, but the total mandatory spending is four and a half trillion. And there, uh, Russ Vote is doing some yeoman's work. Uh, but I'll, I'll just put it all... Uh, Right to the point, the only date that matters, the only thing we do as Republican that matters uh, will come down to the debt ceiling increase debate. That's the only point of leverage we have uh, as Republicans in the House. There's only one person in charge of that. It's Kevin McCarthy. The budget chair has nothing to do with that. I was on the budget committee. I know what I'm talking about. The speaker will determine that. And even the speaker will have tremendous pressure on him uh, not to really resolve these issues. And so. It's incumbent on all of us to put pressure on the speaker and our Republican reps uh, for that one day uh, to make some key cuts uh, so that our kids will have an economy left. You know, Dave, the, the, the president is a little disingenuous the way he presents his budget. As you talked yeah. about, you know, yeah. reducing the deficit. Well, at at six point nine trillion Spending next year would be higher than at any time during the pandemic when we had all that extra spending. Right. And right, it's about right. uh, it's about two point five trillion above pre pandemic levels. I mean, yeah. that's 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 a growth of 55 yeah. percent from 2019. I mean, yeah. that's incredible. We cannot sustain that, especially on our anemic economic growth. No, and, and so it's important also, uh, you know, the Federal Reserve uh, bought three and a half trillion dollars worth of treasuries and enabled and accommodated and validated uh, the seven trillion in uh, Biden spending. And uh, they got no right doing that. Right. Their mandate is stable prices and low unemployment. Uh, they're making decisions that have profound political implications. Right. By validating seven trillion in spending. Now, our labor markets are still strong. Uh, you know, we got enough money uh, to go to war. Let's go to war with that money. Uh, the, the labor market strong. Firms want uh, more labor. So let's bring in uh, five million undocumented immigrants uh, through the border. Uh, hey, uh, we got so much money. We'll just write checks to everybody. We'll shut down the entire economy coming up. Right. So the Federal Reserve was in on this, too. And our, our system of economics is just under full frontal attack. And uh, so it's incumbent on our house. We got a, a, a bunch of people on the financial services, um, Mooney, Congressman Alex Mooney and a, and a few other my old friends are working on uh, some of those Federal Reserve issues. But it's just important to get that straight because they're unelected and they're making profound uh, economic decisions as well that validate the federal uh, government overspending. So, uh, Dr. Brett, have we have we reached the point of no return yet or do we still have an opportunity if we exercise discipline, fiscal discipline, that we could work our way out of this? You can work your way out of it. The Russ vote 
uh, is a uh, principled Christian leader, head of OMB. Uh, he's working on budget right. in his group now that balances in 10 for real and gets rid of the uh, ide- ideological assaults against Republicans. But, you know, the Senate and the White House are never going to validate that budget. But uh, we can go part way and demand part of those uh, crazy additions, you know, 80,000 IRS agents in the border and some of the just the major assaults uh, on the country, you know, but, central bank uh, currency, et cetera. Those, these major things now we are have, not allowed to happen. But now that yep. we have so many Americans addicted to government money, it's going yep. to be hard right. to, to, to cut or, or roll back these yep. programs. Yeah, and so it's intentional, and it's intentional to turn us into a socialist, if not, you know, communist Marxist society. Uh, the yeah. globalists are, are fighting like crazy. Yeah, but uh, it's it's interesting times right now. This uh, Silicon right. Valley bank that cracked yesterday is going to force the Fed uh, and the government is some awkward uh, gymnastics in the weeks to it, come. It it may just take the Re- the Republicans may have to put their majority on the line to do yeah. what's necessary yes. to yes. save the yeah. country. Doctor yeah. Dave Bratt, always great to see you. Thanks so much for taking time to join us today. Hey, thanks, Tony. God bless. All right, uh, Dr. Dave Bratt, Liberty University. All right, coming up next, we're going to uh, take a deeper look at what the Freedom Caucus is proposing. That's next. Don't go away. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. I'm Corey, and this is my story. I was going through some financial troubles paying off my credit cards. I was paying high interest rates, and it just wasn't getting any better. And I knew I had to do something. So my mom told me about Trinity, and so I decided to call. Trinity was able to do something that I couldn't. I'm paying off my debt. I'm saving thousands, and things are really looking up. I promise you guys, you will not regret it when you call Trinity because it was such a relief and less stress in my life and it was the best thing I could have done for myself because once I called Trinity, they took care of me and I felt such a relief, a weight off my shoulders and they are a Christian-based company. I love it. (laughs) If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I'm Corey and I'm debt-free for keeps. 1-800-788-1813. What could healthcare sharing mean to you? Well, if you're like a lot of people who switch to MediShare, honestly, it's a huge relief. Like for the parents of an eight-year-old girl fighting cancer, it's confidence they have in having a community praying for them and paying their medical bills so they can focus on just being there and loving their daughter. Or for a young couple getting ready to welcome their first child into the world, it's being able to be in the moment, getting to enjoy this great gift from God without worrying about medical bills. And it's a relief these days to know you can actually save some money on something. The typical family saves $500 a month by switching to MediShare. And it's a ministry. When you call them, you talk to actual humans who want to help you. So that's a relief too. MediShare has been around 30 years. It's affordable, reliable health care. It's a great time to switch to. Call now. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Glad that you are with us on this Friday. All right, as I discussed last segment, President Biden has doubled down on his devotion to the priorities of the left. Now it's time for Republicans to respond. 
Well, earlier today, members of the House Freedom Caucus released their plan, Shrink Washington, Grow America. It's a framework for policy changes they deem necessary for them to consider raising the debt ceiling. So let's talk about those main priorities. Joining me in that discussion, Congressman Bob Good. He serves on the House Education and Labor Committee and the House Budget Committee. He represents the 5th Congressional District of Virginia, and he's in the district right now, so he joins us by phone. Congressman Good, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tony. Great to be with you. Thanks for working with me on travel this afternoon, but thanks again for having me. Well, uh, glad that you've taken time to to join us. I want to get your reactions. Before we get into the details of the House Freedom Caucus, I want to get your reaction to the president's uh, proposed budget. Tony, you have to wonder, is he malicious with his intent, or is he just fiscally and economically illiterate? When you have $32 trillion in national debt, about $100,000 per citizen in the United States, when you've had two, excuse me, $10 trillion in new spending in the first two years of administration that's caused massive inflation. And I want to make one little side economic point for a moment. Historically, interest rates are, ra- are increased or raised to combat a hot economy to try to cool it down. Uh, to prevent inflation or combat inflation. I've never really agreed with that philosophy, but that's what's been done. In this case, it's not a hot economy. It is government spending that's caused the inflation, and then the president's regime is raising the interest rates, which causes further inflation from a housing standpoint, a rental standpoint, and so forth. So on, how does the president respond, though? He throws gasoline on the raging fiscal fire, and his plan is $6.9 trillion budget, the largest budget proposal in the history of the country, projecting a record $2 trillion deficit, uh, spending $20,000 per American citizen just this year in that budget proposal, not to mention $5 trillion in tax increases, which would further crush the economy. Uh, As you know, Tony, we are realizing record tax revenue because of President Trump's strong tax-cutting policies that are in place. Historically, you cut taxes, you get more revenue, you get what you incentivize. If you increase taxes and penalize productivity, you get less of it. And the president either doesn't understand that or is just being punitive or harmful to the American people I don't know the motivation, but I know that this this policy or this proposal is dead on arrival. There's no way Republicans in the House will take it up. We're not going to let them do this to the American people. Well, it, 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 you're absolutely right. It penalizes those who actually are productive and create jobs and economic opportunity for for others. I want to talk about the proposal from the House Freedom Caucus because you've stepped forward with a very clear uh, pathway forward. We were just talking with a mutual friend of ours. We were talking with Dave Bratt about the, the, the critical nature of where we stand as a country where we have uh, $32 trillion in debt projected uh, to, to grow even higher, another 20 added to that. So let's talk about the specifics of what the House Freedom Caucus is proposing. Tony, as you know, two months ago we made history with the willingness of members of Congress to challenge the status quo of leadership and to work together, unite together around a framework to bring transformational change to Congress. The, and now you're seeing history again where we are taking that, that opportunity 
and proposing real cuts, something that hasn't happened in decades in Congress, as you know. And if you the summation of what the Freedom Caucus is proposing today is about $900 billion in reductions in the near one year or so from now, meaning going to 2022 spending levels, which would mean 2019 pre-COVID for non-defense discretionary spending, and and then that would allow defense spending to stay as proposed. That would save us near $150 billion per year this year and going forward. Uh, in addition, uh, eliminating the $400 billion that the president has proposed uh, for uh, in this in this current budget, what he did with the Democrats to uh, do the student loan transfer scheme, $100 billion of unallocated, unspent COVID funds that we want to claw back, nearly $100 right. billion, $80 billion for the IRS, uh, and then also uh, eliminating tens of billions of dollars of green raw deal environment climate uh, spending that was in the uh, the omnibus bill, the phony inflation bill, reduction bill, and the uh, phony infrastructure bill, uh, and then putting work requirements back in place for government subsistence for able-bodied Americans, which will not only cut spending estimated thirty billion a year, but also will put give a shot in the arm to the economy because those people get into productivity. Uh, they begin right. to generate income. Uh, it ha- allows employers and job creators to expand and to invest and so forth. So we got to get the country growing again, but we got to cut the spending, and that's what the Freedom Caucus is proposing to do. And, um, and we're up against a break, but I just want to point out one thing. You, the caucus has made very clear it protects Social Security and Medicare benefits and keeps defense spending, as you pointed out, at current levels. So this goes after some of this uh, discretionary frivolous spending um bob great to see great to talk with you thanks so much for joining us on this friday and uh, we look forward to seeing this uh, move forward thank you tony appreciate you my friend take care all right congressman bob good of virginia all right when we come back uh i'm, I'm going to unpack that a little bit more for you and then we're going to be joined by uh, former georgia congressman jody heiss today they uh delivered the nearly uh, 35,000 petitions that many of you signed to the uh, city manager in Port Wentworth, Georgia. We're going to talk about that next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. It is necessary for Christians to pray, to stand for truth, and above all things, seek after the Lord. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord first and in every aspect of their lives. This program's purpose is to help equip believers to pray and stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch Pray Vote Stand's weekly broadcast, visit prayvotestand.org. That's prayvotestand.org. Hey, did you hear? Money Wise is different. It's now Faith and Finance with Rob West. Don't worry, 
Rob will still help build your faith while giving biblical advice about your finances. It's just a different name. From a diversification perspective, I like uh, properly diversified stock and bond portfolio, especially given where the market is right now. Faith and Finance with Rob West. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Central on AFR or catch the podcast at AFR.net. Friendships is offering an exciting opportunity for young adults who want to grow in their walk with God, become physically fit, and learn relief ministry while serving in the Middle East. This is an amazing opportunity to serve God and experience Israel. Check out Seahawks One Year Scholarship Program at friendships.org or call 337 433 5022. That's 337 433 5022. The next session begins August 19th. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, scientist and president of the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, how many stars are there? Chris, this is the question for which there is no answer. We go out on a clear night and look up, and we only see about 3,000 or so stars with the naked eye. But with telescopes or binoculars, we can see many more. Scientists estimate that our Milky Way galaxy contains over 200 billion stars. And now we can see billions and billions of galaxies, and we haven't even seen the edge of the universe. With every new telescope, we're seeing whole new regions of space full of galaxies. Chris, God told Abraham that the stars in the sky were, in essence, innumerable, and how right he was. As always, the scientific information that we gather supports the clear teaching of the Word of God, even those truths that are found when we go back to Genesis. To find out more about creation science, visit us on the web at www.icr.org. That's www.icr.org. All right, folks, thanks for joining us on this Friday. Hope you've got uh, a great weekend planned. By the way, if you've not yet seen the movie, uh, Jesus Revolution, I I watched it last weekend. It's an outstanding movie. In fact, I think we're going to have the uh, producer of the movie on next week. But uh, that's the one about uh, Greg Laurie and uh, Chuck Smith and the start of Calvary Chapel and just the the Jesus movement that took place in the, the early 70s. Great movie, well worth it. You'll be encouraged to see it. So uh, you might want to go out and see that this weekend while it's still in the theaters. I want to go back for just a moment before I bring in uh, Jody Heiss. I want to go back and just kind of summarize what we were talking about with Bob Good on the budget, because this is is important. Because as as we were discussing uh, with Dr. Bratt, we can't just keep kicking the can down the road. This has become a real problem, our fiscal situation, where we are now $32 trillion in debt. Uh, that's going to be uh, $51 trillion in the next 10 years. We can't sustain that. That's more, I mean, we're, we're, as he talked about, we're paying $2 trillion a year just to service the debt, and that's if the interest rates stay low. So we've got... We've got to um, we've got to face the music. Now it, it is difficult because so many people, many people, receiving government benefits of some kind, and and I understand that. But it, we just it, we just can't do we can't we can't continue to pay for what we don't have money to pay for. So what what the Freedom Caucus is doing is putting forward a, a, a I think a very reasonable path forward not talking about cutting the big entitlements that always calls people to get upset uh it's a 
it's a path forward in reining in our deficit spending, which will at some point help us to get to the debt. All right, we've got to at least stop spending what we don't have and stop adding to our huge debt. So they're proposing, as uh, Congressman Good said, ending the $400 billion student loan bailout. That's almost a half trillion dollars. Rescinding unspent funds allocated toward COVID-19. Those are out there. There's so much money out there that was just thrown out from COVID, and most of that is being used in uh, in improper ways. We've already seen the fraud that's there, but we're also seeing states, some blue states, use it basically for vote buying. Rescinding the already approved $80 billion to expand the IRS. We don't need the IRS out there harassing the Amer- American people. Rescind the billions of wasteful climate change spending that was in the Inflation Reduction Act. We can get rid of that. Uh, capping discretionary spending at fiscal 2022 levels for the next 10 years. That allows for 1% annual growth. That's sufficient. And uh, as I said, it protects Social Security and Medicare benefits and keeps a priority on defense spending. It's reasonable. And, and, and I'm hopeful that the Republicans will go along with the Freedom Caucus on this. And the leverage point, as was pointed out, will be the debt ceiling. So we're going to be tracking it, talking about it, and we'll need you to weigh in when the time comes. Just like you weighed in for Jacob Kersey. He's the 19-year-old police officer who was forced out of his position as a police officer in Port Wentworth, Georgia, for posting the biblical definition of marriage on his personal Facebook page. Well, I asked uh, you to sign the petition asking Mayor Gary Norton and the Port Wentworth City Council to issue a public apology to him, and you have responded. 35,000 of you uh, signed those petitions. And earlier today, former Congressman Jody Heiss and the Friday host here at the Family Research Council, one of our FRC team members, led a group of pastors to deliver those petitions to City Hall. And uh, Congressman Heiss joins me now by phone with an update. Jody, welcome back to the program. Great to be with you, Tony. It is an exciting day. Very, very good day. So first off, I I do want to acknowledge that uh, Mayor Norton is in the hospital and and you and the other pastors were able to take time to to pray with him uh, there at the gathering, had a pastor's prayer breakfast before you went to the uh, the city hall. Uh, But uh, you I I saw the video. You actually encouraged uh, the, the staff there at the city hall saying that you were praying for the mayor. Yes, we did, and and quite frankly, I think they were touched by that. I thought they were probably looking, anticipating a, a crowd that was going to be extremely uh, hostile towards them, which uh, we were anything but. Everyone was extremely kind and generous, and on a couple of occasions, like you mentioned, we took time to pray specifically for Mayor Norton as he is in the hospital right now, and just in sharing that information to Steve Davis, who was the individual I was speaking to at the time, um, he, he just paused and said, thank you very much. We, we really appreciate that. So it was a, a good encounter, both from that type of perspective of offering ministry and love to uh, the mayor, but also bringing a message that the leaders of Port Wentworth needed to hear. 
Let's talk a little bit about that. Before you went over to City Hall with those petitions to deliver them, there was a breakfast for pastors there in Port Wentworth. Uh, What was the reaction uh, to the pastors, to the Family Research Council and First Liberty, who joined us in this effort, coming into Port Wentworth on behalf of uh, Jacob Kersey, who was forced to resign his position as a police officer for using his First Amendment freedoms? Yeah, Tony, you know, I've been to so many meetings like this over the years, both as a pastor and as a member of Congress and just other opportunities. But I don't know that I've been to any meeting that was more profound than the one that took place uh, this morning at the breakfast with a number of local pastors. Uh, the, The information that they received, we had one of the attorneys, uh, Courtney Jones, from the First Liberty Institute, who is defending uh, uh, Jacob, and she laid out the case. Jacob himself shared of what happened to him. Uh, Kelvin Cochran, who is the former Atlanta police chief who was fired under similar circumstances a few years ago, uh, he he shared. It was just absolutely powerful. It was inspiring. It was encouraging. It was prayerful. And I I believe everyone who attended that breakfast left with a sense of uh, just um, a g- tremendous awareness of what was going on, aware awareness of the fact that religious liberties in this country are under attack, uh, and that Jacob has courageously stood up, which is remarkable. His poise for a 19-year-old is just tremendous. And uh, so I thought the breakfast was powerful. It really set the stage for when we left there and went over to City Hall. We're showing some video for those that are watching of uh, the pastors there, and Kelvin Cochran was the one praying right over uh, Jacob Kersey. Jacob was the one in the chair. Uh, Many people might not remember the story of Kelvin Cochran. He was the fire chief in Atlanta, Georgia, originally from Shreveport, Louisiana. He was the fire chief in Louisiana, was actually a member of the Obama administration with the um, one of the fire commissions, went to uh, was in was in Atlanta as the fire chief in his church. He wrote a devotional about uh, I think it was entitled Who Said You Were Naked? And it was a story about Adam and about man and about human sexuality. And because one page within that uh, study that was done for his church uh, regarding homosexuality, he was uh, fired from his position in Atlanta, Georgia. Of course, he he had Alliance Defending Freedom representing him in in Atlanta, ended up having to pay uh, because they wrongfully terminated him. But I think it had to speak volumes to uh, Jacob to have Kelvin Cochran there uh, speaking today and praying over him. Well, it really did. And not only today, but last night we had dinner together with Jacob and uh, several of us who were part of uh, the events today, uh, Kelvin being one of them, and Kelvin was able to sit right there with um, Jacob, and I was there with him as well, and just the interaction, the encouragement, the support, the the wisdom, having literally been through the fire, as uh, Kelvin Cochran had been through, and the, the love, the compassion that he was sharing last night with Jacob was just tremendous. And then you add to that what took place today. It really was just a remarkable time. And I think uh, all the pastors and those who were in attendance were just taken aback, both at the seriousness of the issue, the courageousness of this young man, and what happens when we 
as believers stand up for religious liberties in this country, uh, most of the time we win, but we have to stand up. And that's one yeah. thing, Tony, that I was able to share. The 35,000 who signed the signature, they were standing with us today when we delivered those uh, petitions. And I just want to give a huge shout out and thanks, a heartfelt thanks to the the approximate 35,000 people who helped us today deliver a strong and powerful message to to the leaders of Port Wentworth. Let me ask you about that, Jody, as um, you met with those local pastors, and, you know, they may not have understood the significance of this initially, but did it have an impact on them, the fact that there were thousands of Americans across the country that cared about what was happening in Port Wentworth when it came to religious freedom? Did did, did, Did that speak to them? Yeah, I think it did. And quite frankly, I don't know how it couldn't. I mean, it was the pile of uh, the stack of the, the petitions were behind us while we were speaking. Of course, we pointed it out to us, to them, and I don't know, it was four or five inches thick, a pretty small print on every page. But that's what 35,000 signatures looks like. It's a lot of paperwork. And for everyone to just visually see that uh it was it was powerful and yes there was a you know you 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 look at 35,000 signatures but also the spiritual leadership there and the keen awareness that beyond the 35,000s was also the most important presence of God who was with us in that prayer meeting with us in the effort to stand for religious liberties and to keep wide open the doors of the gospel, both now and the future generations, uh, there was a keen sense of awareness and responsibility that was shared, and I believe that the pastors called on to that. And after leaving the pastor's breakfast, going to City Hall, other citizens joined you uh, for prayer there in front of City Hall and for the delivery of the petitions. Is it your sense, Jody, based on your conversations with the pastors and with uh, the the citizens there in the Port Wentworth area, that this might spark something? You know, I certainly hope so. I I think... um, uh, you know, this is a highly touristy area, uh, and so there's a lot of coming and going with people and this type of thing. I'm sure it's a rather difficult area for uh, ministry from, from as far as local churches are concerned. And you, you could kind of get a sense of that with some of the pastors. But I'll tell you, when we all showed up at the city hall and there were a number of other local residents who joined us there, uh, the energy just continued, and we were able – it actually started raining. So even in spite of the rain, uh, people turned out. There were some local media who were there covering it as well, and we were all able to cram our way into the city hall and present the petitions. Um, it really was a, a moving experience, and I would dare say none of those people had ever experienced like that before. I believe they were extremely encouraged uh, and appreciative deeply of the leadership of Family Research Council uh, and uh, First Liberty uh, go, going all the way there, down there to stand up for their local community in a very serious overreach of government discrimination 
and hostility towards people of faith as they absolutely have done to Jacob. And the people just seem extremely appreciative, and they united with us in an effort to take a stand today. Well, it's so important that we do what we can where we are with what we have to defend uh, these freedoms. And the best way to defend them is to uh, to use them. Uh, Jody Heiss, I appreciate you uh, representing us so well. You and Mark, Dr. Mark Harris and the rest of the FRC team that were in Port Wentworth today. Thanks for, uh, for going down there and being a part of that and for joining us this afternoon on Washington Watch. Deep honor to do both, Tony. Thank you so much. God bless. All right. Have a have a great weekend. Former Congressman Jody Heiss and uh, now a member of the FRC team and generally the Friday host of Washington Watch. So my grass is not getting cut uh, this weekend because I'm still here in the studio. But let me, in all seriousness, thank you for signing those petitions. And I know that uh, just in the last week, hundreds, uh, actually, I'd probably say thousands of you have responded. As I told you, we were going to deliver these petitions. Here is one thing I, I want to make very, very clear. Anytime we ask you to sign a petition, those petitions are delivered. Uh, that is a commitment. And I have uh, uh, talked with my team repeatedly about, repeatedly about if, if you sign a petition, we deliver it. And that's why I wanted to close the loop for you today and, and let you see, for those watching, uh, for those listening to hear uh, from Congressman Jody Heiss, those petitions that were delivered there to City Hall in Port Wentworth, Georgia. We are facing so many threats to our freedoms. And I'm not, I don't think we have to be uh, alarmed. We need to be concerned, but we need to be prayerful and we need to be standing up and speaking out. Pray, vote, stand. We need to pray. We need to vote for those who will respect our Constitution and our religious freedoms. And then we need to stand. At the end of the day, you and I must stand. So thank you for standing with us as we stood with uh, Jacob Kersey. All right, folks, we are out of time. I do hope you have a great weekend. Get some rest. Be sure and go to church on Sunday. Worship the Lord. And if you have a chance, see Jesus Revolution. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.